Well, you're all very welcome back to the Saturday Sports Show here on CRCFM. We are going to be continuing our preview of Mayo's crucial All-Ireland semi-final against Tipperary. As I suppose we all know now, it's a repeat of the 1920 All-Ireland semi-final stages with both Cav and Tipperary being the surprise inclusion to Mayo and Dublin's main uh, stays within the latter stages of the All-Ireland series. Well, first up on the 5th of December, it's going to be Dublin versus Cavan at half five from Crow Park. And the day after, Sunday the 6th of December, Mayo will be playing Tipperary in Crow Park at half three. Well, to continue the analysis and build up to that game, I'm delighted to say I've RT and uh, Midwest Radio GA analyst Martin Kearney on the line. Martin, a very good afternoon to you. How you doing, Creeping? Very good now. Thank you, Martin. And just in terms of... Looking back on Mayo's Connacht win, it was a, a monkey off the back of this current Mayo setup. Five long years without a Connacht title. It's a it's a long time for, for these heavy hitting big name players to be without provincial silverware. How much do you think it will mean to the likes of the elder statesmen, the Killian O'Connors, the Aidan O'Shea's, but also for the newcomers, your Tommy Conroy's and Ushin Mullen, who didn't have that underage uh, success that many others have had in that Mayo setup? Oh, I think it meant a huge amount to them. Actually, I was privileged enough, grieving to be at the games, and I saw close and personal, like uh, you, you know, the reaction of the players, and they were absolutely thrilled. I mean, they won five in a row up to I think it was 2015, and I feel after that their focus solely at, after that I felt was on winning provincial or uh, winning all Irelands, and they sometimes maybe I think took their eye of the ball a little bit in terms of maybe not putting everything into the provincial title, knowing that they had a kind of a fallback with the with the back door. But ultimately, I think over those years, it took a lot out of them. It gave them extra games that they probably didn't need. So, I mean, this time around with a knockout format, they couldn't afford to actually go into a backdoor, uh, you, you know, to rely on a backdoor system. And they played, you know, in every one of the games against Leitrim. Okay, they may not have started particularly well, but they played on very, very heavy conditions on a very bad day. And, you know, a lot of new lads were, were more or less betting into the team. And even though they started poorly, as I said, they came through it impressively and, um, you know, took them on then to Roscommon. Again, you had the same old story, maybe, you know, starting poorly enough. But once they got into gear, I thought, against Roscommon again, they put them away very, very easily. And the game the last day, um, you, know, you know, against Galway, um, it was it, it was a great win. It was very very uh, to me. Uh, I thought it was an impressive win. Some great football actually. Um, it, it should have been won by more. In fairness, like that, it came down to a fourteen points, fourteen win for Mayo. I didn't think reflected on their on their uh, overall superiority. And maybe that's something that they need to just maybe have in mind for the game against Tipperary next weekend. Is that you know they need to put the foot in the troll. Uh, you know once they get into an advantageous position as they had in Salt Hill in the first half, then they need to make a count and put their opponents away and not give them a route back into the game, as was the case in particular against Galway the last day. Yeah, that certainly made it a much more uh, nail-biting conclusion to the Connacht final than it really had to be. Looking at it, Killian O'Connor had a, a very good goal chance in the opening minutes of the game. Owen McLaughlin too, he was bearing down on goal in the second half. Kevin yeah. McLaughlin also was running through, seemed to have been given the advantage, passed it over to Brian Welch, who was an excellent introduction in the second half. And for some reason it was pulled back, the advantage wasn't played. Now, I 
didn't get an explanation as to as to why that was but I think you'd have to imagine if Mayo had gotten a goal at any of those opportunities it would have been a totally different game well, I think it would have been Queevy, and I think that's a fair comment. But I think, actually, the things that won it for them the last day, I mean, Matthew Ruan, you know, worked very, very hard throughout that match. I thought he had a very, very impressive game, got two wonderful points. Uh, Chris Barrett, um, Queevy, at a time in the first half when Galway were attacking and when they managed to penetrate the, the Mayo midfield, Chris Barrett was very, very solid. One of the best games I've seen him play. And then, like, you know, we often talk about the the importance of the substitute benches. You know, we often talk about Dublin being superior to others because simply they have too many, uh, or so many, rather, top-quality subs to call them. But I thought Brian Walsh the last day when he came in and, instead of Ryan O'Donoghue, um, you know, got two very important points. And just uh, mentioning Ryan O'Donoghue briefly, he got a good point, I think, from a mark in the first half. And I thought he worked very hard. But Walsh added that little bit extra, as did actually um, Jordan Flynn when he came in. And when you look at the guys who did come in, Cuevin, you had Brian Walsh, you had Jordan Flynn, you had Mark Morn. You know, Sean McDonough okay, was there before, but you had a lot of... Okay, he won his first um, Connacht, in fairness, the last day, but he has been kind of involved in the last year or two. But it was all young... A lot of the young lads actually showed an enthusiasm and an energy for the game that I think actually, you know, lent itself to the occasion and gave that little, uh, that little fillip to the more experienced lads who, in fairness to them throughout, I thought, actually navigated the ship very well. Yeah, and it was heartening to see as well the reintroduction of Keith Higgins. It did look, admittedly, like he was quite rusty, but he did still have that lung-busting ability to, to carve through defences. He was quite fortunate, I suppose, as well, not to concede a free for that short kick-out from David Clark. But is it something that you'd expect to see more of Keith Higgins as we come into the semi-final, hopefully a final stage? And Cullen Boyle is there as well. He was on the bench for the other games, wasn't there the last day. Tom Parsons was also on the bench the last day, wasn't there before. There's kind of confusion as to who is available and who is not. Would you be expecting Horan to kind of continue in this vein where even the fans are guessing who's going to be brought on, never mind the opposition manager? Well, look, you've made a very interesting point there, Creeping. I mean, you look at what James Horn or who James Horn has called him for the most part in any of the games. It has been the new guys. Like, if you go back to the first game um, or the second game, a, a, um, I can recall against um, Roscommon, the guys he brought in in that game, he brought in um, Mark Bourne for uh, Ryan O'Donoghue, he brought in Jordan Flynn, he brought in Rory Brickington. Actually, I think for Matthew Ruan, he brought in James Caroke, who has been around uh, before, and he brought in uh, Michael Plunkett. But the, it's like what's noticeable about it, he's actually bringing in young lads. He's giving them an opportunity. And to be fair to them, they're actually uh, making the most of it. And I feel for a lot of the senior players, though, I, I, I confess that... You know, there's a number of them not on the bench. And the reality, and I think it's a desperately unfair thing, the reality is if they're not on the bench, if they're not in the 26, they're not allowed to the game. They're not brought to the game. They don't get to travel with the team. So in many of the games, the Colin Boys, the Shamey O'Shea's, the Donald Vaughan's, the, um, you, you know, the, 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 the boys that have anchored the team for the best part of a decade, a lot of those guys have been like a lot of us watching the games from home. 
And, like, I applaud James Horn for what he has done in giving so many young lads the green light, so to speak, to go in and, you know, establish themselves. But I think the sad thing about it is that there's an awful lot of lads, actually, who have given sterling service to the county, aren't even getting to the games. And there's something totally wrong with that. Yeah, it's very disappointing. James Horan was speaking about it after the game as well. Especially when there's silverware on the line, it does make it extra sad for the players not involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I mean, the last day, um, as you said earlier in our conversation, uh, he brought on um, he brought on Keith Higgins. And basically, he was the only one, what you call, of the old guard that, that was brought on. And, I, I, you know, I can't recall now, was Colin Boyle talked or not? I think he was. But, um, no, it, it, there is no doubt about it. Like, since we have come back to football, since we have come back to, to the you know, those final two league games of the season in mid, mid-October, and basically there has been a, a cleansing out of a lot of the guys who are there, and there's been an investment in a new group, a new bunch of players. Yes, there is the old cohort, there is the kind of the old guard of the David Clarks, the Aidan O'Shea's, the O'Connor brothers, you know, Lee Keegan, um, Kevin McLaughlin, kind of in a sense, setting the standards for these young lads, but these young lads have added immensely to it. And it is those players you mentioned you know the the Jeremy O'Connor is now the Stephen Cones they were key members of the under 21 and minor winning teams of 2016 and 14 I believe and now they are really the core group in that middle eight uh, as the managers often term it with the likes of Connor Loftus Matty Ruan you have Stephen Cohn there as well Jeremy O'Connor they these players have been playing with each other throughout their almost their entire lives now with yeah. th- this Mayo team. How important well, is that to to see that continue? Uh, and well, how Horn realizes that he needs them to in that position to to go forward. Yeah, well, I think in a team you can have a team and you can have fifteen individuals in it, Cuevin, and each of those fifteen individuals can be excellent footballers in their own right. But very often, the guys that make up the 15 cannot dovetail, cannot play off one another, cannot develop an understanding of each other's play. And as a consequence, maybe, they just don't make a team, shall we say, the force that it should be. Now, in doing what is, like, you know, the guys you have mentioned, and don't forget to add in Patrick Dorkin to that. Patrick Dorkin, to me, has become a massive leader for that team. But all of a sudden, these guys are beginning to understand the rhythms. They're beginning to understand the, the, the nuances, the movements, the habits of the guys around them. And it's when people become comfortable with the guys alongside them that all of a sudden a group of individuals can morph into a, what is called a top-class team. And I think what you have quietly at the moment happening is this male group of people, this new male group of individuals are morphing into a very, very, very formidable team. And, you know, it'd be quite amazing if they cleared the hurdle next week and basically went on to an All-Ireland final, in which is the first year, really, of their development. Yeah, it does kind of augur quite well for the future of these young players that Horan has at his disposal the fact that at the start of the year very few would have given Mayo a chance in hell to make it towards an All-Ireland semi-final or final 
because yeah. they expected Connacht to be too difficult. A team in transition is often the case. But as history shows us, Kerry under Eamon Fitzmaurice had a team in transition that went on to uh, do incredibly well and, and be very successful. So it shows that it's it's not exactly a hindrance, the fact that there's so many newcomers involved in the setup. No, it's not a hindrance. And like, thank God it's working out for Mayo this year. But I think there's also an important element that the experienced players have brought to Mayo. Like, when you think about it this way, next weekend, now, match might be a little bit outquaving. Mayo will be playing by my reckoning, in their 17th All-Ireland semi-final or final since 2011, their 17th, which is quite remarkable. Now, including replays, etc., and semi-finals and finals into that. But it's quite remarkable. Now, those guys don't get, those guys don't get there without a huge, huge effort. And to make that effort succeed, then you have to have a very, very, very healthy culture within the group. And I think there's a very, very strong culture of behavior with that group off the field as much as on the field. Like there's, they are a very they're a very aggressive team, a highly competitive team, but they're a very disciplined team. And I think kind of, uh, you know, the young lads have to realize that to be part of a successful group, then what you do off the field is equally important as to what you do on the field. And I just hope they understand that and they realize that kind of comic titles, appearances in the last four of All-Ireland series, those aren't handed out willy-nilly. They only come on the back of huge effort. And that huge effort can only be informed in many times where you have, or, or on many occasions, where you have very, very good discipline. And that discipline comes around, or it comes about due to good behaviour and a good culture from within the group. Yeah, I think that has shone through as well in a lot of these players in, in the recent games that we've, we've witnessed Mayo team play. Looking at their strength and conditioning, we all saw them come back from the lockdown against Galway looking like they were it was men against boys really in terms of how the Mayo players were conditioned they had a bench as well that kept the team fresh and it has been the same way in almost every game since then how much of that credit goes to the setup involved that you mentioned there Martin the strength and conditioning because it does oh, seem to be superior to other counties in the, in the country well, I think, I, I think myself, like Dublin set a standard in terms of strength and conditioning going back. Uh, most other counties have emulated. Any county, that, any county that hasn't emulated that, they're not going anywhere. Now, Mayo, you've got to applaud and uh, uh, congratulate them on the amount of work that they do on their own on their own queeving, away from training. The nice those guys aren't training in with the group. They're training on their own, doing their strength and conditioning work. They kind of, in a sense, you know, measure every morsel that goes into their body. They're extremely, extremely disciplined in what they eat. And the strength and conditioning, what's good for you isn't necessarily going to be good for uh, for me, like so to speak. Every guy has his own individual program to suit his needs and to bring him on to the levels that are needed. Like I was just reading a piece today in one of the papers in relation to the hurling over the weekend, uh, you know, I was looking at the Limerick and, um, who was it, the Limerick and Kilkenny teams, but you know the men that are playing in those teams—they're huge men. They're all over six foot two. Or sorry, the Limerick and Galway hurling teams. But if you look at the Mayo teams, equally, they're big men. They're strong men, but they're hugely conditioned. They're they're, they're sculpted. 
right? You know, they're, they're just machines when they go out there. But that doesn't happen simply by blink of an eye. It happens on the back of very, very, very carefully programmed, programmed individual conditioning work. And every one of those guys has bought into it. And you know something, Cuevin, if you don't buy into it, forget about it. You haven't the hope of succeeding in the modern day inter-county scene. And it does seem to be hugely beneficial to the younger players as well. I think Aidan O'Shea was speaking during the week to Off the Ball on News Talk how the lockdown may have been quite a, a blessing for the likes of Tommy Conroy and Oshin Mullen to fill out not just you know maturity-wise and the mental aspect of the game, but he made a point to noting how physically they had developed in those short months. And that is yeah. really crucial as well. Mayo, whatever the underage setup is now, we seem to be breeding players different. You know, we've never really seen the likes of Tommy Conroy or Oshin Mullen emerge at that age on, on, on the highest level and be able to perform like that. Is there well, major changes that have happened within the youth structures that we should know? Well, uh, you know, everything comes down to player development. And basically, you know, I think in Mayo, we have been ex- the players have been exposed to a very high performance a very high performance standards and you know if you if you're if you're not part of a setup that has those high standards you're not going to go anywhere now what i noticed i know i'm going away from the mayo theme for a moment what i remember commenting on to myself last year when i watched dublin in some of their later games in the championship was the different specimen that conor calladon was to what he had been 12 months earlier he was simply just he was a brute of a man and all of that came down to the, you know, to the, the, the strength and conditioning program that he'd been put on. And likewise, as you said, Aidan on News Talk the other night talked about the younger lads like the Oshin Mullins, the Tommy Conroy's, guy, Ryan O'Donoghue's guys like that, you know, Mark Mourns, all of those guys who need to kind of buy into this. And that's important that they buy into it and understand that if they don't buy into it, they haven't a hope. But in buying into it, they're giving themselves at least a play from the starting line to actually try and match their wits and their ability and their skills against guys who have maybe been part of this over a quite a number of years and also to become teammates of guys who have been part of this and who have developed and who have um, in, in a sense I suppose pushed themselves uh, you know over the last 10 years you know wearing the Mayo jersey. I suppose many Mayo fans will be looking at the Westport Cycling Club as well to see if we could unearth uh, any more cyclists into the Mayo setup. if the success of Owen McLaughlin could even be replicated once more because he has been by far the standout find, I suppose, for perhaps the entire championship if he continues in this rich vein of form. Well, that's right. Like, I mean, I remember the first time I noted him. Okay, I saw him playing this year in the championship. I remember one day over in Brafey watching him. I thought, thought he, you know, a good young lad. I then was very close to him, actually. I was lucky enough to do a bit. I was doing co-country with, Mid- with Midwest in their league game up in Chewham. And the position that we were in that day was very, very close to the pitch. And again, I marvelled. I marvelled at his ability. Now, I said to myself at the time, being somewhat critical of him, maybe the guy's a little bit left sided to kind of develop his right a little bit better. Maybe he runs into tackles, you know, unnecessarily at times. But again, the man was only cutting his teeth in county football. And like as you said, I, I, he's represented Ireland internationally. A junior cycling, 
And any guy who gets up on a bike and goes out for a cycle, he doesn't simply go from here into the shop for a packet of sweets. He goes maybe and does maybe, you know, anything from 80 to 100 kilometers maybe in a Sunday morning. And you can see that great endurance with him. And again, I'll just put, throw in a wee parochial thing here. He comes from Stock, the father from Donegal. So, I mean, <laughs> there'll be, um, shall we say, a good pedigree there as well. Yeah, sure. That that definitely helps things as well. As you can look at Michael Murphy as well, a father from from Mayo and Bellinari. Oh, that certainly <laughs> helped him. Touche. <laughs> and just on on the game taking place next week, Tipperary themselves were very impressive. I suppose against a Cork team you mentioned didn't really seem to show up for that that clash. They did look very tired by the end of that match, and I think that is going to be something that will be exposed further in the expansiveness of Crow Park if Mayo can get to them. They oh, to- I think you're, I think what you've said there, actually, Cuevin, is a very, very valid point. I remember looking at them coming five minutes into half-time, and I thought one of their, the better players of the day, who he was outstanding in the day, he got seven points, Connor Sweeney. I thought he looked wrecked. Now, on top of that, I thought that... Um, I can't think it was Christian, I think it's Alan Campbell, the full back, and Jimmy Feehan. I thought they were really out in their ear by the by, by the end of the game. And I believe myself there is a full, incidentally, just going on the parochial stuff, Campbell's father is from Swinford, oh, uh, or the Swinford Charleston area, I should say. And uh, But I thought the full back line of Campbell, Jimmy Feehan, and Conor Shotnessy were struggling. And the two wing backs, Bill Maher and Robbie Kiley, Again, they were out in their legs at the end. But I wouldn't underestimate them. Remember, you, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, Cuevin, about Mayo, you know, being successful in All-Ireland Minor in, was it, 2013, under-21 and 2016. But this particular group of guys that are representing Tipperary now at senior level, a number of them, and particular the likes of Michael Quinn live and maybe, ever, you know, Stephen O'Brien, Evan Comerford, they all came through a minor team that beat Dublin in 2011. Now, that Dublin team, I just did a bit, a bit of research on that earlier this week, Cleveland. that Dublin team would have had Jack McCaffrey, would have had Keon Kilkenny, it would have had Ed Lowndes, it would have had Johnny Small, it would have had, um, you know, Nice Scully. It would have had maybe eight or nine players who have gone on since to win senior All-Irelands with Dublin. So, I mean, we, we yes, they're tired, there is no doubt about it. But I nonetheless would not kind of take them for granted. I do believe we'll win it. But we will believe it, we'll win it with the right, uh, what you call, attitude. We'll certainly have the self-belief that we'll beat them. And we'll also be sobered by the fact that we've met them twice in recent times. In, I think, was it 2000, and, um, I can't remember, 2016 in the All-Ireland semi-final? Yeah. And maybe a couple of years ago in 2018 in the championship. And we beat them both times. But I remember in 2016 in particular, and, you know, it was a tight enough contest for quite a while. Have Tipperary improved since then? I don't think. And I think we're as good or will be close to as good as we were. And I think we definitely will have the upper hand of them. Will Mayo fans have a right to be worried about the midfield area? Colin O'Reardon was catching balls for fun against uh, Cork in the Munster final. It looks to be a position where Mayo are trying something different and uh, certainly Tipperary may look to make hay from there. Well, there is no doubt about it. Like Liam Casey and Stephen O'Brien are on the middle of the field will be supported by Colin O'Reardon. Now, they are formidable. 
And I've no doubt about it, like, the Mayo pairing around there, uh, you, you know, uh, Matthew Ruan and um, Conor Loftus have had very, very good days. Like, particularly the last day, I, I thought... Uh, Matthew was very good the previous day against um, against First Common. I thought Conor Loftus is very good, but I believe myself that Comerford's kickouts are going to go long. Comerford's kickouts are going to go bombing down on top of very tall, formidable players, and I think there will be quite a scrap out there around the middle of the field, and they may have it over us in an aerial sense. But I do believe myself in the area of breaking ball and the area of actually kind of making use of what possession we get, we'll be we'll be capable of making more use of it than they will be. But it will be it will not be easy in the around the middle of the field area at any stage in that game. And with O'Reardon's present there, I noticed that over the last few few days he has managed to get permission from Sydney Swans to play for the semi final or to stay for the semi final rather, and he has certainly give them a huge fillip by remaining behind for that Yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how he performs in his second time out this year just finally before I let you go Martin James Horne has been speaking about the and it's a quote from him the anxiety that Mayo fans oftentimes bring to matches when they're when we are in attendance in the good old times and this is another quote from here there probably isn't as much emotion swirling around the place with the absence of fans in stadiums and Stephen Cohn similarly echoed these comments saying it's an awful lot easier to get the communication across from the sideline to the players now you've been there at the matches is that something you've noticed how vocal the sideline is and how easy it is nowadays to convey the information with the games being held behind closed doors well, you know something, <laughs> it's been weird at games in many respects due to the fact that there isn't a, 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 you know, a spectating body there. You know, when you think about it next weekend, they'll go into Crow Park um, on Sunday afternoon at four o'clock or whatever time it is to play Tipperary. And if there are 200 people in the ground, that'll be as much as there'll be. Like, I mean, it's extraordinary, uh, you know, in normal circumstances, you had anything from 50,000 upwards at that game. And I think maybe the absence of emotion, the absence of that wall of noise, that delirium that you have on big match days when there are huge crowds, maybe that has allowed a lot of the players to cut their teeth and to break into the whole kind of business of inter-county football. And, you know, it's interesting what James and what Stephen Cohen said, that maybe, you know, that calmness that's there, that kind of, you know, the, the absence of that pressure where people are willing you on or getting in your ear if things haven't gone well for you, like if you've missed an easy opportunity or if you have kind of let in a goal at, or, or whatever at the other end. Like the, the pressure of knowing that there aren't any people behind you kind of roaring at you for the mistakes you made, maybe that does make it, you know, that little bit easier. But um, nonetheless, it's going to be a, a, a wonderful experience for every one of them. A new experience for the new lads in the sense that we're going to play in Croke Park with nobody in it, so to speak. And a wonderful experience for the young fellas getting into Croke Park, getting into that massive, massive stadium. You can't use the word cauldron <laughs> next weekend, but getting into the massive acreage that's there and kind of allowing themselves and letting themselves and getting the opportunity to play with a freedom that I think will go Go to see from them next weekend, and I think it'll bring you a winning performance. Fantastic stuff, Martin Carney. Thanks a million for joining us here on the Saturday Sports Show, and enjoy the weekend sport.
Thanks, Stephen.